0: Hey everyone and welcome back to Not a Savior. I'm your host Melissa. Today we have with us Alex Knott and we're going to chat about her research on volunteers in the refugee camps in Greece. So I want to talk a little bit about the research that you were doing specifically, which was on the, the recent phenomenon of individuals going to volunteer in the refugee camp. So can you tell us a little bit about what that what that looks like in Greece?
1: Sure. Yeah. So this is something that um, that I didn't really know much about before I got there. Um, when I was actually doing my research, I was originally in Turkey um, and then went over to Lesbos Island in Greece um, for a two week summer school. at um, at a university there. Um, And that's when it kind of came to my attention that this was such um, a big phenomenon. Um, And, you know, um, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Maybe this is what I should be focusing on instead. So um, that's what I ended up doing. Um, And so, I mean, at at this point in time, um, summer of 2016, there were, as I said, very few arrivals um, of migrants and refugees uh, because of the um, the deal that had just been um, put into effect, um, but there were a huge number of volunteers, um, and this is because you know um, a lot of people had maybe seen um, on TV or whatever or in newspapers um, the refugee crisis the previous winter, but of course you know they were in school and work. Um, so kind of uh, decided to go during the summer when they had the time off. Um, but the problem was that, you know, the, it, the um, supply of volunteers really didn't meet the demand. Coordinators often didn't know what to do with them all. Um, and, you know, a lot of them also got fed up because they they weren't there doing what they had intended to being you know, welcoming um, refugees to, to Greece, basically. Um, and this is, you know, this is still continuing, I think, um if anything it's becoming increasingly popular to volunteer um in refugee camps specifically um and i think you know that's because immigration is one of the most you know is one of the hot topics these days and and it is a way for for people to perform their um their progressiveness which i think is something we'll we'll talk
0: about in a bit mm-hmm. In the paper that you wrote on all this research, you use a metaphor about bridges and doors to describe the drastically different ways that volunteers and refugees experience crossing borders. Can you spell that out a bit for us?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, this a, that's actually um, Harrison's metaphor, um, but I think it was a particularly apt one, um, especially you know being my being a volunteer myself and and just um, noticing the very different ways that we were able to cross into Greece and and be there in Greece, um, to refugees. So, um, you know, I think Harrison uses the term bridges for people who are able to, to somewhat easily cross into another place, um, and still very much have, you know, the bridge there behind them if they, whenever they want to go back over, um, versus, you know, refugees and migrants in this situation that sort of face a series of doors um that kind of open and close arbitrarily according to you know someone else's rules um and you know they just kind of have to go through a door when it opens and then it it might well slam slam back behind them
0: i guess to follow up on that in in your paper you have this moment where you argue that volunteers reinforce the very borders that they seek to challenge what do you mean by this
1: Yeah. So I think in this case, I'm kind of talking about more um, interpersonal borders um, and with, you know, um, volunteers kind of um, creating these artificial boundaries um, in the way that they go about um, their their assistance. Basically, how it works in the camps and, and how coordinators generally set it up as well is that, you know, the Western volunteer is the helper. Um, you know, whether that's giving out food or or whatever it is, and then the refugee is the victim and has no agency. Um, and, um, you know, this, um, is such a common thing in humanitarian aid that we won't include people, um, and people themselves could very easily be helping to hand out food and often want to, and, you know, that is something that does go on in certain NGOs. Um. But a lot of them, you know, do erect these um, really strict borders between, you know, no, like they are the ones receiving the assistance; we are the ones giving the assistance. Um, and you know, this kind of can lead to um, a lot of um, not so great interactions, um, perhaps condescending and even authoritarian. You know, um, especially in food lines and stuff. You know, volunteers do take on these positions of authority. Um, which, again, can lead to a lot of animosity. Um, and, you know, interestingly, speaking with a lot of refugees, um, they often see volunteers as quite inseparable from the systems that are keeping them out of um, of, of the country and in the state of limbo. So, um, you know, they often don't see a big difference between volunteers, for example, or Frontex officers um, because of those boundaries, you know, that are that are set like that.
0: What are the implications then of having international volunteers in refugee camps? Are they providing any assistance?
1: I think a lot of this depends upon how how it actually plays out. Um, in terms of, you know, physical assistance, like I said, you know, there are a lot of people there, um, a lot of, of refugees who um, are waiting around, you know, for to be processed or whatever, and really do want something to do. So in terms of, you know... Handing out food or distributing clothing, um, you know, I wouldn't say that in a lot of, in a lot of cases, volunteers' help is really all that necessary. However, I do think that there are a lot of potential benefits um, to volunteers being there and open, openly, welcoming and accepting um, refugees to Europe, especially you know psychologically for, for migrants and refugees. But I feel like um, it really depends, and mm. I think um, you know a key a key part of this is that we are, you know, training volunteers, and that's not just training them in the practical things of um, you know, whatever it is they're doing, but it's also to provide, you know, more in depth historical and political knowledge of the context in which they are working, um, so that they can actually work towards more egalitarian interactions, um, and engage more in reflective thought about how they're actually providing assistance. I would say, you know, there there were a lot of interactions that I think could only have come out Negatively, when when volunteers come with this specific idea of, of migrants and refugees in their mind, and they just um, and they don't seek to challenge that idea, um, you know, the risk is that they come home and um, they continue to perpetuate this view of migrants and refugees as you know, at best, victims, um, and at worst, you know, ungrateful and things.
0: How did local Greek people respond or or feel about the surge of volunteers that were suddenly showing up in, in their communities?
1: most situations where volunteers come, it's kind of this, um, there's two parties involved most of the time, right? There's the the volunteers who are coming from afar and then there's the local people. Um, and in this case, you know, um, there were kind of three groups and the locals often felt like, you know, quite cut out of the whole thing. Um, even though, and it's important to note that like during the height of the crisis, it was the local people that really did the lion's share of the work. You know, they were the ones um, really like welcoming people to the shore, helping them um, actually get to the shore, um, giving them food and clothing and everything, and then, you know, I guess there was quite a, a varied reaction to all the volunteers that summer some some people were just kind of confused to be honest I talked to quite a few Greek people who were a little confused as to why all the volunteers were showing up now when there wasn't as much of a, of a crisis situation um, and then others you know were um, were quite fed up to be honest um, and again going back to you know the the political context here uh, a lot of the volunteers coming were northern Europeans, um, and of course they were coming to provide assistance specifically to refugees and migrants at the, at the same time as their countries um, were you know, encouraging Greece to, to pass all these austerity measures that were making things really difficult for them. Um, I know there were a lot of NGOs that actually had Greek people showing up to their distributions of food and clothing because they couldn't feed or clothe their children either. Um, and then were turned away because it was, you know, for the refugees. And I think this, you know, kind of created more animosity there. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, in general, I'd say uh, Greek people were extremely welcoming and, and um, to the volunteers, but I can also understand this point of view. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, there was this, this issue of a lack of tourist arrivals. Um, and some people did blame that on, um NGOs who were you know perhaps reposting photos from last year and that kind of thing to to really create a sense that the that the situation was ongoing in order to receive more donations um and all of that so there was also some animosity towards NGOs um who they thought were were continuing this whole like crisis representation yeah
0: yeah yeah when speaking about volunteers, I've noticed that there's often this tendency to focus on, on their intentions or motive for going abroad in the first place. And in my research, I found that people are quite soft on this point. Um, you know, they, they say that individuals who, are, who partake in these activities mean well and therefore let's kind of forget about the criticisms that's launched against them. Um, But in my experience, I found that while sometimes this is true, in many other instances, individuals partake in these activities as a way of, as you said before, performing their progressiveness. In other words, they use these kinds of experiences to gain a kind of social capital. And so I'm wondering to what extent you think that this is true in the context of individuals volunteering in refugee camps. I mean, I know that obviously you can't make overarching claims about all the volunteers that were there, but can you sort of speak to this behavior in in regards to Individuals intentions?
1: This is a really um, common thing um, and a a common criticism of volunteers going abroad um, Is that they do um, There is a performance aspect of it um, And that this can be really harmful, Um, you know things like constant photo taking um, blogging um, that kind of thing, and, and often under the guise of raising awareness, but really when you, for example, when you look at, um, you know, the feedback that volunteers are getting and when, when you talk to them, there, there is the sense of, you know, oh, everyone's so proud of me um, for doing this. Um, so that certainly is part of it. And I think, you know, in this situation, it, it can be particularly problematic things like photo taking, you know, especially at the point of arrival, there's clearly, there's no way to, to get consent, but people, you know, continue to take photos of people just arriving to the shore, and remember that these people have just crossed a body of water that they thought they might die in. And I'd say, you know, a lot of it is identity creation, essentially, Um, is that, you know, it's cool to care about refugees, and, and the best way to do that is to be there on the front lines. And I, like I said, the risk is that um, it's all too easy to kind of Um, put this under the guise of raising awareness. Actually, it's a lot about, you know, performance. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that being said, um, that's not necessarily the case um, all the time, but uh, that definitely is an aspect of it, I think.
0: Right. What are your thoughts on the ways in which these refugee camps or just in general the depictions of refugees arriving in greece what are your thoughts on the ways in which the media has has handled that
1: so i mean i think you know there's a there's a tendency just like with volunteers um there's a tendency from for the media as well to to get the most exciting story and so i'd say you know there's a similar thing there where both volunteers and the media focused on the shores as you know the site, um, the central stage kind of thing where, where everything's happening. Whereas actually, you know, at, at this point especially, but even at that point, the main issue was the fact that, um, thousands and thousands of people had been stuck, um, in these camps for weeks, months, and even years. And by focusing kind of on the drama of the the actual border, this is missed. That, that's also a problem because, we focus on um, our resources, and a lot of NGOs still are focusing their resources on arrivals that may or may not happen, and obviously there, there is um, you know, a need for immediate attention, but there is also the need to focus on people who are just facing interminable waiting.
0: Mm-hmm. The sphere of, of humanitarianism at large often sees itself as being sort of politically neutral, so in other words, these aid organizations often operate under this mantra that they're not choosing sides in any kind of political conflict, but are simply dealing with a pressing crisis. You know, but of course, nothing can ever really be neutral, especially when it comes to questions that have to do with poverty and injustice and, and how those things should be addressed. So I'm wondering, in your experience, what have the implications of this refugee crisis on it being framed in this kind of humanitarian, neutral way?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good point. Um, Humanitarianism is often represented as completely separate um, from the political project of policing borders. And I'd say, you know, especially being there, you notice, like, how false this distinction is. Especially, um, you know, you see a lot of um, coordination between those, you know, who are... Doing the policing work and those doing the sort of care work of receiving um, refugees. So, for example, you know Front- Frontex um, really coordinated with the NGO Lighthouse Relief in terms of you know getting people to stage to camp to be processed. And and kind of beyond that as well, there there is a lot of functional solidarity there between the humanitarian world and and those are that are kind of policing it. There's um, a great quote that I picked up um, and put in the in the research that was in hospitality. There is no care without control. Um, that's a and Fernbach, and I think that's really true. And and you notice this especially in NGOs. There is their primary motive um, is is to care for people, but there is a lot of control that goes into that. You know, especially when, when you're deciding what people are going to eat and when and who's going to get how much and um, controlling kind of the spaces so you know that's another thing too is like especially for people who have been there months or years they have you know this desire obviously to create um, their own kind of sovereign spaces and kind of have sort of some semblance of control and then of course you know uh, NGOs and um, volunteers come in and they just kind of like turn whatever rules were there, whatever structures were there upside down and put in their, their own things. So that could be the rules they have in terms of um, lining up, you know. So just as an example, the cues for food distribution. So um, there was a kind of unspoken agreement um, between refugees and, and migrants that people who were pregnant or the elderly should be able to go first. And um, this particular coordinate, volunteer coordinator I was working with was like, no, everybody waits the same amount of time. And so that was like very much overturning this, you know, this social rules that um, people had come up there themselves. And beyond that, you know, people, volunteers telling people they had to drink their milk or whatever. So, you know, it, it does become very much um, a care and control thing. And again, like, you know, every time you go to get food, you have to bring up um, this, piece of paper that shows how many people you are and and basically there's there's just no no trust involved there, so there really is nothing neutral about the way that humanitarian aid is given out. you know these are based on um, assumptions and have you know very clear underlying um, political causes and effects
0: mm-hmm. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your own advocacy or work that has to do with sort of the ineffectiveness of of humanitarianism and and volunteerism, if I can kind of name it that way. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how did you arrive at this perspective? What was that process like? And why was it this part of development or humanitarianism that you decided you wanted to address? I guess,
1: you know, my criticism of volunteerism did not start um, that summer um, in refugee camps since... When I was eighteen, I first um, volunteered abroad and started to realize some of the issues with it um, and over the years have kind of like you know seen that again and again in different contexts. I guess what I was particularly drawn to in 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 this case was the fact that um, in in this particular instance, the absurdity of our mobility regimes just becomes so clear you, you know when when volunteers are coming to help from the countries to which uh, refugees and migrants want to go. And I guess, you know, just having been there and um, with, I guess, more of the of the context and everything at the front of my mind, you know, a lot of these um, questions came to the surface. And I think um, discussions of volunteerism kind of tend to go one of two ways, right? Like it's, it's either that, oh, this is really helpful and this is great, or it's that, you know, this is entirely harmful and neocolonial and just shouldn't happen. And I think, you know, It's going to happen either way. Um, There's a a great quote by um, a scholar called Mostafanazad who studies voluntourism who said volunteers are going to go with or without anthropology. And the idea there is basically just that, you know, we need to work towards making this better as opposed to either saying like, oh, it's fine, it's great, or just saying, you know, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's kind of where I am now. Um, So currently I'm working with an organization called um, prakash which is basically working to make volunteering more ethical and affordable and sustainable and I think you know one of the key things there and and what Amprakash um, is kind of focused on is raising um, people's critical consciousness before they go to volunteer abroad it's really um, you know this is something that definitely came up during my research and I think you know I wrote in the conclusion was that we really need to, to challenge volunteers to critically reflect upon socio-political issues and their own positionality and um, you know really um, push them to be become more critically uh, conscious before they and and while they're they're doing these um, while they're interacting because i think you know as i said before i don't see the main help necessarily is as, as handing out food that could be done by whoever but i see it as actually you know like crossing these borders and these boundaries and Reaching out and learning from one another, and I think my work now is working with Amprakash is also like helping to kind of um, to continue develop their Edge program, the educational education for global engagement program, which is an online program that um, volunteers take before going abroad, um, that really um, you know addresses a lot of these issues and really encourages volunteers to think more about these issues before they go abroad. And, you know, in my experience so far, this really does seem to translate into more reflective thought and considered actions and, you know, eventually to more like egalitarian interactions that actually have the potential um, to, you know, be really beneficial for both parties. So I guess, you know, I I see my work now as education based. And yeah, that's (laughs) kind of where I am now.
0: That's great. Thanks so much for speaking with us, Alex. Yeah, thank you, Melissa. It's been great. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember to rate us on iTunes and to check out our website at www.notasavior.weebly.com. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y. Or you can follow us on Instagram with the handle Not a Savior.